and welcome to episode four of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping your e-commerce brand grow sustainably. Today, I'm joined by Ricky Gilby, founder at War Handplanes. If you don't know what a handplane is, it's kind of like a mini bodyboard for your hand. So after some early success making handplanes by hand from sustainably sourced wood, Ricky wanted to scale his business. His passion for cleaning up the seas led him to focusing on ocean plastics as a base material. But at the time, there was no supply chain of ocean plastics sourced from Australian waters. Rather than putting that in the too hard basket, he spent three years implementing Australia's first ocean plastics supply chain. And the result is the phenomenally successful Badfish hand plane. This truly is an inspiring story of how a regular fella beat the odds to join the fight against ocean plastics and built a profitable business at the same time. So with that, let's start the show. Ricky Gilby, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Giles. Thanks for inviting me on. No, it's a pleasure, mate. Um, I first came across your product, uh, the, the, the beautiful Bad Fish hand plane, just over Christmas, actually, just just recently, and uh, one of my one of my friend's sons had one, and he was making it look very easy out there on the surf. So I thought, well, being a diver, I thought, you know, I'm not naturally good at floating, but I will see if this if it's if it works for me. And um, my wife comically said that I looked like a fat cat in a washing machine compared <laughs> to my my friend's son. So I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm not sure I did that. I did the the kit justice, but. Enough about enough about that. Um, maybe you could we could start by getting you to give us a bit of a background on 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 your background and how you got to get started with uh, War Handplanes. Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, I founded I founded War eight years ago now, um, and I just I fell in love with body surfing at the same time that I kind of started the brand. So I fell in love with the sport of body surfing coming coming to Australia from England. About 12 years ago, I spent a large number of years learning how to surf and took like five or six years to get to a very, very average level. Um, but then I discovered body surfing and I was achieving the same kind of thrills and, and joy of riding a wave in the first few days of body surfing that it took me years to get to in surfing. Um, yeah. And then I kind of looked into it a bit more and realized there wasn't really much available in terms of equipment here in Australia. And knowing that body surfing was super fun and there was a, a, a gap in the market, I'd always had like a burning desire to start my own business. Um, and all of a sudden the, the fire had some fuel and I had an idea and I just kind of ran with it. I love it. And so you started, you started making them with, um, I, I guess, sustainable wood products or, or you know, certified wood yeah, products. Yeah, so when I first started the, the brand, I, I was working kind of as a carpenter. Um, and so I had access to a lot of um, recycled and reclaimed timbers. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was pretty handy. So I just, you know, started shaping some hand planes out myself at home in the garden and, you know, annoyed a lot of the housemates that I was living with at the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. And I remember there was a eureka moment for me when I, I shaped up 18 hand planes um, out of wood and I, I secured a spot at a local Sydney market in Manly. Um, and I went, I went down there with just kind of hope and that was it. I didn't really have any sort of equipment for sales. I didn't have any payment facilities. Um, I didn't have any merch stuff or 
real branding. I just had a table and my product and a story to tell. Um, and I sold every single hand plane that day, um, completely sold out. And so I left with like a big smile on my face, a huge boost of inspiration um, and a big wad of cash because I didn't have any card stuff. And I was like, this, this could be it. You know, this is a really cool business opportunity. Um, and I remember one guy, particularly on that day, I sold one of my hand planes and in the morning and he came back in the afternoon and he was like, Ricky, I just have to tell you, that's the most fun I've ever had in the surf. And I'm a surfer and I've been surfing all my life. Um, so thank you. And that moment for me was like, man, this is, this is, this is good. Let's, let's go with this. This is a great, great idea and a great product and something that I really believe in. Yeah. Oh, chills, mate. Chills. I know, I know the manly markets well. I've done that many times myself. So uh, I, I can literally picture you down there just with a table and, uh, you know, kind of all the other, all the other kind of uh, handmade products all around you. And uh, yeah. I, I can definitely, I can almost, I can almost hear that conversation in my head. That's awesome. So how long did you do the, the wooden ones for before you decided to, to make a transition into ocean plastics? So we did that. I was doing that since 2014 and we got to, yeah, about 2016 when I started to realize that I needed to, to scale up. Um, and so that was when the idea of, of making something out of recycled plastics came to light because I obviously knew plastics production was quick and fast and relatively cheap. Um, and it, it got to a point with the timber hand planes that my full-time job, 40 hours a week, was in the workshop manufacturing the product. Um, and then I was trying to run the business and, and grow that on the side, um, which you know wasn't quite sustainable business-wise. So yeah, I had to outsource the production of the timber ones and then focus on a new project, which was using recycled plastics to create an option that actually allowed us to, to scale up in production. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I remember being quite naive at the beginning, which I think really helped me out. I, I really wanted to, to use ocean plastics being a product that was used for surfing and back at the beach. Ocean plastics was something that I really wanted to, to tackle and take on. Um, and I remember writing it down from, from concept to first production run. And my original timeline was three months. And I'd be like, it'll be fine. I'll just be able to buy some processed ocean plastics and, you know, put it through a machine and make some plastic hand planes. Um, but no, it took me three years to, to set it up. Um, it was just the fact that it didn't exist at the time. Um, yeah. The supply chain for ocean plastics within Australia didn't exist. And the more I kind of researched it the more inspired i got to try to do something having the knowledge that it had been done overseas in a similar fashion yeah um i knew that it could be done it was just going to be difficult um but i didn't think it would take as long as it did but uh it did and uh, but we ultimately succeeded so yeah I, and i want to unpack that a little more in a moment but i mean first of all you know congratulations on, on doing that because i know how hard that was to do but looking looking back now um, you know, when you first decided to do that, it, I love one of the things I love about that whole thing is that, you know, you're, you're making a product for people that clearly love the ocean. They love being in the ocean and you're using ocean plastics. So the whole thing is is totally congruent. So, you know, it just it just makes sense. Whereas, you know, there are so many other materials you could have used, um, you know, in, in the in the sustainable space. But you've chosen that one, which I think is a genius move. It, it just it, it resonates really well from 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 end to end, which is great. So. But you got there, you started, you realized you wanted to do with ocean plastics, and then you realized there wasn't a supply chain. And I think, you know, one of the things I want to congratulate you on is, is just, you know, having the, 
having the resilience to push through that and actually put all those pieces together because i think that's where most people stop they go i want to do this it's exciting it make it resonates with me it makes sense it's meaningful for me but i don't know how and it all seems very hard break that down for us how did you actually put that supply chain together how did you how did you find someone that could collect those ocean plastics and and then how did you find someone that was willing to work with the ocean plastic yeah, well, so i think it's- Firstly, touching on the, the drive to do it, I think like, I, had, I have such a deep passion for, for the business that I've created and around body surfing and stuff like that. And I knew that my business needed to scale up to be sustainable, to, to actually be long term. And I couldn't just from my own kind of background, I, I couldn't bring myself to make a product, especially for the ocean out of virgin materials or virgin plastics, especially. But yeah, I think for me, I set up a supply chain um, from collection through to manufacture. But all I've essentially done is connect up people that were already doing great stuff in that space. Um, so the group that I ended up partnering with for collection is a group called Eco Barge Clean Seas. Um, and they've been collecting um, marine debris from around the Whitsunday's Great Barrier Reef region for over 10 years now. Um, and, you know, they would collect all that material, bring it back to their base, sort it all out for their data collection, and then ultimately send it to landfill. And, you right. know, so they'd take it out of one environment and then put it into another. Better out of the ocean, obviously, but for them, it was like a real pain point. They were like, you know, we're doing all this hard work, cleaning it out, and then we're still sending it to landfill. And we really want to do something with this. So they were ready, you know, they were ready to do something like what I was trying to achieve. Um, and then the, the real missing link was the processing side of things. So actually taking that material, sorting it out and cleaning it, washing it and shredding it. So it was into a form that could actually be used by a manufacturer and in injection molder. Mm. Um, and that's where I partnered up with the, the plastic collective. So, um, Louise Hardman, who, who created, um, these machines that basically offer remote communities, um, the ability to process their own plastic waste locally. Um, they get to kind of the education materials around sorting it out and then also shredding it up in a little shredding machine that they offer. Um, so partnered up with them and they connected up with EcoBarge and set up one of their machines at their HQ, um, which allowed them to then start processing some of that material that they got. And we could do it because we were, it was all kind of around us, we could do it to the spec that we needed it to be at. Yeah, um, so we worked quite closely with them to set all that up, um, and then the next big one was trying to find a manufacturer who was who was actually willing and able to put this material through their machines. Yes, big injection molding machines for production um, are yep. very expensive, um, and you're, you're forcing a lot of material through very tiny holes and gaps in injection molding, and so a lot of manufacturers were very hesitant to even run tests or trials on this material. So. I had to find someone who um, who was willing to do that. Um, and I got turned down by the company that I ended up using originally um, just because they said it was going to be too difficult to use ocean plastics. Yep. But then I started attending all of these different events. I went to sustainability events, plastic recycling events, um, just to be in the know and trying to build out my network. And I heard the CEO of this um, company uh, do a big talk and his whole it was in a plastic recycling event conference and his whole concept was we need more people to make more products from recycled material and then that'll create a pull-through effect for the entire system and that was the, the, the premise of his whole presentation 
So immediately after his presentation, I just cornered him and told him what I was trying to do and what I wanted to achieve. Um, and he loved the idea. Like he thought it was amazing, beautifully circular, obviously being collected from the ocean to be used back from the ocean for people who care about the ocean. Um, and it just turned out that the idea had never made it to his desk. You know, it always just got to front desk wherever I called or emailed. It made it to reception and then was kind of denied from there. So just to actually go to the events and see these people in person made a huge difference to me. It was the only way I could get through to people. Um, just that, that barrier, like you weren't talking to the right people. That I think um, is really insightful. Can I unpack that a little bit? So can, can you, are you able to share who that, who that uh, partner yeah, is? Yeah, the guy called Mark Yates. Yeah. Um, and it, it was originally a, a company called Replas. Um, they, they already work with post-consumer recycled plastics. Right. Um, Mark Yates has since moved on from Replas, and we have okay. since moved on from them as our manufacturer. Um, but that was integral to us starting because it was with with Mark and with Replast that we managed to do all the experimentation around the recipe and getting the right mix and putting it through the machines and doing test runs and that kind of stuff. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so so um, who are you using now if you're able to share that? Yeah, so there was another hurdle that we needed to cross, which was to create our molds. Um, yes. And as, a, as as background story too, I have had no experience at all in in manufacturing products from plastics or anything like that um so when it came to trying to get a mold made um i had the options of going overseas to china to get it made yeah. over there much cheaper um but because i wasn't sure what i was actually getting and what i actually wanted or what i needed i needed that kind of commun- like level communication so i went with someone in australia yeah um Spent a little bit more, but had that confidence that I could get across what I needed, and they yeah. could talk to the manufacturer as well and kind of liaise. So you had um, the CAD, you had the CAD stuff, and then the and then the 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 the, the model for the for the eventual mold designed by a design company, and then you went to a manufacturer to say, right, please make this. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Um, but there's so many like little add-on things you can get for your molds and and different material types, and um, that all stuff was quite new to me. Um, yeah. And it was quite a lot of money, so I just wanted to make sure that I was doing it right. So I did spend a little bit more, but had the confidence of going Australian made. But he he was basically I was trying to explain to him what I was trying to do with the ocean plastics, and he was like, "Look, I don't think it's going to work, but good luck to you." And he, here's your mold. Yeah, and then sent it off, and ultimately we had quite a lot of success with Replas in terms of the production runs that we did using that mold. Um, and then when our relationship kind of fell through with Replas, um, I kind of went back to him who created our mold and kind of showed him that we've created, you know, at that point about five thousand units, you know, pretty easily out of the, out of the mold, and just using these slight techniques. And uh, basically convinced our, our mold maker to start injection molding the product as well. Um, oh, right. and, that's, and that's now been our, our long-term relationship um, with with the original mold maker, who is now our manufacturer. And that's a, right. a company called Toolcraft, based down in Victoria. Um, but yeah, really, really great guys. Really open to to new things and new ideas. And and you know, from taking us on, they've had a lot of exposure to recycled plastics, and they're moving. A, down that path quite a bit and, and taking on a few new clients in that space, which is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's great to see. And it's, you know, like it, it's, it's wonderful to hear pioneers like yourself who are, 
spinning up the wheels in all the elements of the supply chain so that it becomes a known entity so that so that new people coming into the space in making whatever it is they're making don't have to have those kind of like okay let's just convince you to do this and even try it for start with you yeah. know so so th- it's always harder being a pioneer than it is a follower so good on you for for doing that so in terms of <clears throat> in terms of the plastic as a material compared to you know like I guess virgin plastics. What's your experience been? Is have have you had to make any adjustments for uh, the mold or the process that you would that you would normally have made? And and you know, can you kind of give some insight into into what people might expect if they're following that similar journey? Yeah. So I think ocean plastics is possibly the worst type of material that you could use in regards to plastics, just due due to its high contamination rate. Yeah. So it does have a lot of um, foreign objects in there that aren't plastics. There's bits of shell, sand, salt, tiny fragments of steel, wire, that kind of stuff that somehow managed to make it through the whole process inside. Um, and that's always going to be the case, really, um, just because it is so contaminated at the source. Mm. Um, and it is also extremely mixed. So how plastics work is every different type of plastic, and there's about 40,000 different types now of different variations. Um, each one has its own melting point right. and setting point. So one big thing that um, I didn't realize but is is very commonplace now is when you're using kind of a mixed polymer recycled plastic, when it goes into the mold, um, normal virgin material is single polymer, so it's one type of plastic, um, and the mold can have melted plastic injected into it rapidly cool and can open up in a matter of seconds and it can make individual units every five six seconds something like that um just open and close open and close um with the recycled plastics and especially the ocean plastics due to their high mixture rate and, and contamination it has to stay in the mold a lot longer um than, than industry standards or averages and that's because if you open the mold too early the different polymers in the mix would start setting at different temperatures and different rates. So the, the product itself would start to warp ever so mm. slightly. Um, if you take it out immediately, it can warp pretty horribly. If you take it out a bit too early, like it, there's a slight variation, but you probably couldn't see it by eye. Um, but yeah, so if you look at normal products, they might be in the mold for anywhere between five and, and 30 seconds. Whereas the products that we're making, the hand planes, um, they can be in there for two to three minutes per unit. Wow. Okay. So presumably you've got, if you've you just got a single cavity mold for your... We have a single cavity yeah. mold. Yeah. yeah. So it gets injected into the mold then there's water rapidly sprayed around in the tubes inside to cool it down um, as quick as possible. But yeah, that has to be in the mold for two to three minutes. Um, yeah. when, you, when you're paying a manufacturer, you're paying a lot for machine time. Um, so you, you can expect to pay a little bit more um, for manufacturing it just because of that machine time increase. But yeah. if you are, one thing I'm kind of hoping for out of this whole project, which has come true to some degree, is that we actually, we mix the, the ocean plastics with post-consumer curbside material. So what people put into their domestic recycling bins at home. Um, and we put it at a ratio of 33% ocean plastics to 66% um, curbside material. And then we put in a UV stabilizer and that as well. Um, But that curbside material, we just buy that. That's just 
available um you know you might be harder to find than than standard virgin material but we just buy that it's kind of a hdpe um clean shred and it's predominantly milk bottle cartons um and yeah you you can just purchase that and that's much cleaner much purer than the ocean plastics and much easier to use and you know would reduce your your mold time and machine time even further than yeah you know, if you're using ocean plastics. And so I yeah. just like, like we'd, I'd love to see the bad fish um, showcased as a positive case study for that you can use ocean plastics and make a profitable product and business out of it. Um, but yeah, I just hope that it inspires people to be open to using the much cleaner, much more readily available, cheaper post-consumer recycled yeah. plastics that's just there that anyone can buy you don't need to go out and set up an entire supply chain to do it yeah um, and it's much much easier to use um so if i get a few people doing that um i'm, I'm stoked and there's a few does people- your factory buy that for you as, as part of the production or or do you we, buy that we've, separately we've, we found a source that we wanted to use um and they're based in south australia so then yeah, we just send the material directly to them. Um, but they liaise with them now and order directly from them. But we we told them the supplier that we wanted to purchase from. Let's change it up a little bit because obviously, you know, inserting any brand, you know, it's it's a it's a long slog, you know, financially. Obviously, you've got to put a lot of investment in to make the molds to then obviously create the inventory and that sort of stuff. And doing some research coming into this show, as far as I can see, you've mostly done that organically, except for um, you had an Amazon Launchpad uh, grant um, awarded to you. So tell us about that process. How did that go and, and how did you end up doing that and, how, and, and what came out of it? Yeah, so when we, we launched the Bad Fish um, Ocean Plastics hand plane in 2019, um, three years after we started it, and it was cool. We got a lot of media attention in the recycling space and just because an ocean plastic supply chain in Australia hadn't been established prior to that point. We were the first people to do it. Um, so yeah, we won a competition with the national geographic. Um, and then, yeah, we won the grant with Amazon and yeah, up until that point, everything had been entirely funded organically. The money that the, the business had made um, was put back into it um, to, to grow the inventory and, and stock levels and, and marketing and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, the Amazon thing, to be honest, that was one of the easiest grants and and funding that we'd ever really got it was one of those competitions that came around that was you know submit 250 words as to why your business is innovative and and what your plans are for the future um and you know that's a pretty easy question for us to answer um so yeah we we just entered that into you know 250 words and ultimately got uh the email through saying that we'd been awarded the grant and it was cool um amazon you know although you know, you're dicing with the devil, the big, big, big corporate stuff. They did really kind of boost us um, and just got our message out there quite a bit. Um, you know, fast forward to now and, you know, you're a couple, couple of years on from getting that launch pad. How has Amazon been for you as a as a marketing channel, you know, in terms of getting your message out as well as a sales channel? So the launch pad stuff, they did a lot of external stuff. We got um, quite a few different media features from it, which was great. In terms of sales in Australia, um, Amazon still is is quite negligible in terms of sales revenue and quantity of, of orders. Mm. But in the US, it seems to have a lot more potential. Um, so we did launch on the US Amazon site um, about 12 months ago. And to be honest, we haven't really touched it. We haven't really pushed it. We've just been sending stock and having the, the profile available on Amazon. Um, and it's doing quite well. 
So, you know, we are planning on, on boosting that and pushing that a lot more this year. But yeah, the potential in the US for Amazon is quite, quite large, I believe. So yeah, oh, Australia, it is. Australia, it's still quite low. Like our, our main website and other third party stuff is, is a lot larger. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, 250 million people with their credit cards on file who only go there to buy things. I mean, it, it's, exactly. it's, hard, it's hard to ignore, particularly in the US, that's for sure. Amazon Australia is a tiny proportion of that um yeah agreed yeah um but uh, but it's always interesting and and so it sounds like your focus is still uh, which is great to hear by the way your, your your own your own brand website so what what are what are your main mechanisms for for bringing traffic to that and telling your story and getting people excited about your brand what do you do that's working well i mean up until a couple of years ago we pretty much relied entirely on instagram and word of mouth so we built like a you know half decent social media following um, and we run quite a few community events. So I run like body surfing um, competitions and that kind of stuff, which attack, attracts quite a bit of local media um, just because of the novelty factor. Body surfing is still quite unique and a lot of people still don't quite understand that it's possible and it's quite a fun thing to observe and, and get your head around. Yeah. And so we did kind of some marketing around that um, and got into some kind of local features with the recycling stuff. It's really boosted our marketing for body surfing itself because we've got a lot of media attention around the supply chain um and obviously body surfing went along for the ride with that marketing because it was market it was about a, a body surfing hand plane which you know the ocean plastics was the unique factor but then body surfing hand planes intrigued a lot of people were like what are these things too so we saw a big boost in body surfing sales from that um but yeah in the last couple of years we have been using um, digital marketing agencies to to create kind of Facebook, Instagram style ads and and pushing that along with our kind of EDMs and, and general mar- digital marketing techniques. Yeah. Um, but that's only really been in the last couple of years that we've started employing that kind of technique to market. Until that point, it was, yeah, generally just a, a, an organic social media following and um, word of mouth, which for us is is huge. I really notice still even now um, sales will rise and fall with the weather and and stuff that's going on in Australia at the time. So mm. if we, I always see it if we have a big kind of nice high pressure system um, over the east coast of Australia and so a really nice sunny weekend and there's a bunch of people down at the beach the the monday tuesday after that on the website will be a lot bigger than than normal yeah just because you know people who have been down at the beach they've been body surfing people are always quite intrigued when they see people body surfing and they, it looks quite cool like you said when you were up at christmas um and so that people start talking about it it's a nice talk like topic to talk about especially yeah. it's got the ocean plastic story yes. i think it resonates very well with with general ocean lovers at the beach you know they might be quite proud to talk about the fact that they're surfing on something that's made out of ocean plastics and they've helped to clean up the beaches. Uh, and so I love that that kind of marketing stuff is still happening. It's, it's our customers that are marketing it for us. They always love to, to showcase that message around our ocean plastics because they're proud. It's a cool thing for them. Like, look what I've got and I'm helping clean the beaches. Um, and yeah. for us, that's, that's amazing. That's incredible marketing for us. Um, Definitely. And, and yeah, it inspires people to do that. So, you, you know, we do get quite a few emails, probably one a week, just from some random person that's saying, this is amazing. I love it. You know, I got it for my birthday and I'm having the best time. I just wanted to let you know. 
those kind of emails that really kind of you know spruce up your week and make you feel great because someone's just having a good time on stuff that you're selling yeah it's always nice to get those kind of um that kind of validation from your from your customers so changing it up again um tell me a little bit about your tech stack what are you using to actually host your brand site on we're actually using squarespace at the moment squarespace okay Um, i didn't see coming but to be honest um we've kind of exhausted the limits of squarespace i think for our site um there's quite a few different plugins and tech stuff that i would like to include into our um e-commerce site um, and it's just some areas that, that Shopify, I mean, Squarespace, sorry, are, are lacking in, in some of those e-commerce plugins and such. But we are, we are looking to make the migration this year, um, which is going to be a whole mission in itself, because um, it's quite a well-established website. Um, it's got a very good uh, Google ranking around anything to do with body surfing and hand planes. You know, we're pretty much number one on Google across most of those so it is, it's going to be it's going to be a nice little mission to to migrate to Shopify, um, but that is the plan for this year to try to do that. Um, but yeah, at the moment I'm quite I'm quite restricted. Yeah, I, I must admit I, I was surprised that you got so far with on Squarespace. I have to say, but yeah. um, so that so that's that's interesting to hear. Yeah, look, SEO maintenance of your SEO position is going to be the trickiest thing that you face in that whole journey, without a doubt. It's the most important thing, and you, and it's the thing that you have to 100% nail. Otherwise, you can really help hobble you know, all of the organic yeah. love that you it, get. It can, it can cripple a lot of the hard work that you've put years <sighs> in. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so tell me, uh, we'll finish up with a couple of, couple of last questions. Tell me what's your biggest challenge right now in growing the brand? Like how, what do you, what's your goal for the next two or three years? And, and what do you think is being the biggest things that are hurdles for you that you've got to get across? So the number one hurdle for us at the moment is expanding out that supply chain. Um, Cause we've kind of exhausted this capacity right now. Well, basically using every single kilo of plastic that we can process and, and, and clean up um, for our products. And so, yeah, we're looking to expand. We have been expanding year on year since the beginning, which is great to see. But we may be hitting hurdles in a year or two with our production. We might not be able to produce as much as what's demanded. Yeah. So the biggest hurdle for me right now is to expand out that supply chain. Um, and not only for me, I'm working on quite a big project to to scale that up to a full commercial level. Um, so they can not only kind of supply our product with material, but also offer it up to anybody else who would like to use Australian Ocean Plastics in their in their products. So we're really kind of trying to set that industrial processing system up that exists similarly for curbside material and mm. just not yet for that highly contaminated ocean plastics. Yep. But yeah, for us at the moment, it's the supply of the recycled material. That's our biggest limiting factor. Um, um, Cause we've still got the entire U S market to, to tap into um, which has huge potential, but I really want to try to get that kind of supply sorted before we take off in the U S and can't keep up. And are you are you giving any thought if you you know particularly if the US is a big market are you giving any thought to actually producing over in over in the US as well? Yes, definitely. So our kind of thought process at the moment is that we will use Amazon as as Amazon, but also as a third party logistics um, platform to, to to kind of launch in the US and see how that goes. 
Um, and then if that shows some kind of promising trends, um, then, yeah, we'd hopefully look to getting a production system set up directly in the U.S. and, and do it all within, within the U.S. itself. OK, cool. Last question, Ricky, and then I'll let you go. If you were starting today, knowing what you know, what would you do differently? It's funny. I think if I, if I knew what I had to do to start this whole thing, speaking honestly, I think I would have questioned it a lot more than when I did. I think being, being naive at the start really played to my benefit because I thought I could just get it done and, and get it done quickly. But I was just taking on every little hurdle and just getting over each one over and over and over. And before you know it, you finish the race. Um, I come away with the knowledge that you can do stuff like that, even if it seems pretty overwhelming to start with. If yeah. you do just take it one step at a time, um, you know, break down your big goal into many, many little goals, you can ultimately achieve it. Um, I put a lot of faith in myself um, that I can now carry forward to, to new projects and new ideas, knowing that, yeah, you can, if you put the time in, um, you can achieve pretty much, pretty much anything. I love that. And, and it's such an empowering and powerful message in the sense that, you know, things can sometimes look overwhelming, but you have to break them down. Like the, the old adage of how do you eat an elephant? Well, you know, sort of one bite at a time. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I think it's fantastic that people coming through and thinking about doing this sort of thing now have pioneers and trailblazers like yourself who have kind of already done that and shown that it can be done knowing that there's things that can be achieved is half the battle to actually going ahead and doing it even when they do seem hard so congratulations on tremendous success you've had some so you had some great thrills in 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 there you've done some incredible things in putting this supply chain together working with reclaimed open, open plastic from the great barrier reef selling it back to, to ocean lovers the whole journey makes sense as a brand and i love all of that so Thanks. Ricky, thanks so much for spending time uh, with us on the show today. And I look forward to seeing your brand reach new heights in the future. Thanks very much. Much appreciated. Thanks, Giles. Thanks for having me. OK, back to Giles again. I hope you too got a lot of inspiration from that story for your own business. If you want to check out his range of body surfing gear, head to Warhandplanes. That's W-A-W handplanes.com.au or click the link in the show notes today. <laughs>